Hi everyone, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo, I'm the author of the film review website Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews for nearly 21 years now. You can read all of my written work there at that website, Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today I'm going to be looking at a very long and coming sequel to one of my favorite films of all time. Blade Runner is the film, the original one, and I consider that one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. Blade Runner 2049 is 35 years later, a science fiction thriller mystery just like the original, R-rated for violence, some sexuality, nudity, and language, and it runs 2 hours and 43 minutes. The cast primarily is Ryan Gosling as the main star, with supporting roles going to Harrison Ford, Robin Wright, Sylvia Hawks, Anna de Armas, and Jared Leto. The director is Denis Villeneuve, and the screenplay is credited to Hampton Fancher and Michael Green. Now, before I get into the review that I'm going to do today, I just want to mention that there will be some spoilers for the original Blade Runner in here. So if you haven't seen the original Blade Runner, I do encourage you to go see it because I consider it a masterpiece. So I really could not emphasize more how great I think that movie is. In fact, if you go to the In Session Film Podcast, we recently did a retrospective review of Blade Runner. Look for the October 5th, 2017 extra film, and you can get some of my takes on there. Also, I might be talking about some things in Blade Runner 2049 that you may not necessarily be ready for. I don't consider any of these spoilers, but I'm sure that there are some people that may not want to know anything going into it. Obviously, I'm going to talk about the movie, so therein lies the danger that you're going to hear something you wish you had not known going in. So I guess if you're going to continue listening and you haven't seen the film, you'll have to trust me that I don't consider what I'm going to tell you major spoilers. So Blade Runner 2049, I consider to be a very admirable and very inspired attempt to further continue the story as presented in the highly influential 1982 classic Blade Runner. It sees visionary Denis Villeneuve supplant Ridley Scott as director. Scott here is still serving as executive producer, though. Veneuve further opens up this world of the future beyond Los Angeles in order to ponder on more of the themes of the first film, such as what makes us uniquely human, what's our obligation to other forms of life, including that life which we've engineered to be just like us. The original Blade Runner, through its director's cut to its final cut, put in a story angle in which Ridley Scott had wanted to suggest that Rick Decker, the Blade Runner, the cop who retires, aka executes rogue replicants, doesn't know that he's also a replicant. Although Harrison Ford does return to one of his most iconic roles, the answer to that question of whether Deckard is a replicant continues to be pretty complicated, if not outright directly ignored by what happens in 2049. Along those lines, 2049 also brings back one of the original screenwriters of Blade Runner, Hampton Fancher, although Fancher's original script for Blade Runner had been retooled and overhauled by David Webb Peoples at Ridley Scott's request way back when, so how much of that remained in the body of Blade Runner is subject to questioning. Michael Green, who already had worked recently on a revisionist expansion of another classic Ridley Scott original property in Alien Covenant, also shares a screenwriting credit for Blade Runner 2049. Now this new chapter picks up 30 years after what happens in Los Angeles of 2019 in the original Blade Runner. We follow a new Los Angeles-based Blade Runner, this time one that knows he is a replicant, one named Kay. This is an era in which humans and new model replicants on Earth, ones without a limited lifespan, so we are told, are allowed to coexist, albeit in a very tenuous master and servant hierarchy. The Blade Runners are still tracking down and targeting the models that may be at large who've chosen to buck from the lives of servitude that they were designed for. 
In one case, Kay discovers clues that lead up to the revelation that there may have been a replicant that had been able to reproduce. And Kay's superior on the force, Lieutenant Joshi, played by Robin Wright, knows this would result in global chaos should this information go public. And that puts a certain war between slave replicants and humans who devalue their lives at risk and she orders Kay to destroy all evidence that emerges. From there, I won't really reveal that much. At nearly three hours in length, Blade Runner 2049 finds time to explore fully its themes, as well as this expansive world of the future. It showcases the dump of the regions south of Los Angeles in the San Diego area, as well as the underpopulated radioactive wasteland of Las Vegas. Cinematographer Roger Deakins captures a lot of that beauty, as well as some of the ugliness of the futuristic dystopia environment. He makes 2049 as visually appealing in its time as its predecessor, though I don't think it's exactly the same groundbreaking today in this age of CG compared to the original of Blade Runner in its way. Perhaps it's kind of a bit overdone at times. There's a clean and anesthetized look to the film that makes it feel like more style over substance. I think Deacon's use of light and shadow is still second to none despite it all. And one could certainly attribute the same criticism to Ridley Scott's original, I realize. But I do think that that film took place in a world that felt lived in, even if it was idealized, whereas Blade Runner 2049 seems to solely reside in its own kind of pocket universe despite exploring beyond the single city setting. I think the best coup of Blade Runner 2049 is that it gets Harrison Ford to return to the role of Rick Deckard, and that gives the entire project the kind of credibility that it needs to keep highly skeptical audiences on board. Even though Ford is not the main star, he only comes in to support the film in the second half, there's enough of him here to sate longtime fans, and a few cameo appearances from familiar faces from the first film also remind us of the origins of this story. Even if the fan servicing does encroach into superfluous scene territory here, Harrison Ford's performance is not what you would consider to be stellar, but it's in keeping with the detached Deckard that we witnessed in the first film. Standout performances aren't really the lure of this franchise anyway, though I think 2049 sure could have used some of that scene-stealing talent, such as a Rutger Hauer type, to offset the rampant stoicism of most of the characters in this follow-up. As for the new actors in the mix, they're, they're fine. Ryan Gosling delivers an interesting take on a replicant who has to deal with his own feelings of being not worth as much as a human, but also discovering that there may be something special about him after all. That he has feelings for another form of artificial intelligence makes his descent inward all the more poignant. Jared Leto plays Neander Wallace, who, as the new Tyrell Corporation head, is at the forefront of the artificial intelligence community, though... Jared Leto's look in this film, he's blind, but he loves a lot of visual pop surrounding him in his abode and his offices. It really does favor aesthetics over function that makes an already cold and distant film seem almost clinical in its approach at times. There's not a lot of personal artifacts or effects everywhere, especially as Wallace begins to conduct experiments on his replicant specimen in his attempt to recreate recreation. Sylvia Hawks plays Love, the dangerous henchwoman to Wallace in a way that would be more at home in a Matrix sequel than in building upon the Blade Runner epic arc. Anna de Armas is a stunning companion to Kay as Joy, a hologram that one wonders could have reciprocal feelings for him or if it is just part of her programming. I think there are a lot of echoes in that storyline of the, the Spike Jones film Her that resounds through the entire story element of Joy's appearance here, including a sex surrogate scene in that's nearly identical in its concept to the one you found in her. Blade Runner, unfortunately, is overly long. It's occasionally inert, 
and it tries to catch up to the original film in both weighty themes and a lot of technical razzle-dazzle. And while a very respectable and challenging effort is made here, it's a bit of a disappointment in some of the roads that it travels. And in the end, it doesn't really offer much more of interest to ponder or marvel at than what had been already brought forth by the 1982 opus. Unlike the prior entry, which had a few moments of levity and a little bit of a comic twist in some of the performances, Villeneuve keeps the story almost completely on the level of the serious throughout Blade Runner 2049. And while the original Blade Runner pushes forward the look at humanity and creation in the metaphors offered by its replicants, Blade Runner 2049 continues the challenging look, but struggles to offer up enough connective tissue for us to look at our own human selves afterward. All in all, I do think that while I'm content with the follow-up, I actually do like Blade Runner 2049. I hope it doesn't sound like I don't, even though I know that there are people out here that think anything less than a perfect score for this film is absolutely outrageous. I did walk out of the theater feeling a little bit less than ecstatic, which, given how much of a rabid fan I am of the 1982 masterpiece, leads me to feel a bit deflated, especially as I ultimately don't see the events that transpire in 2049 to be really part of the canonical story, even if you bring back a lot of these characters and Ridley Scott is executive producer, I still see this as more of a what-if take, mate, like an Elseworlds tale, than I do an actual continuation of what happened. It just feels like so many other reboots that we've seen lately, a fan fiction film come to life. I suppose it's fitting that a film that gives us more technical achievements to be enraptured by would embody the themes of both films on how humanity has become more isolated the further it relies on technology. Like the replicants themselves, it very much resembles the original in terms of lofty ideals and a stunning atmospheric look at a potential future world, but I think that this effort is more of a very impressive copy that has its own ideas than it is a fully organic entity on its own. So what can I say, everyone? I'm sorry if I ruffled a few feathers out there. I know that there are people out there that think that this is a completely brilliant film. Maybe they even feel it's more complex and original and interesting than the 1982 film. I guess we're not gonna ever agree on that because I really do love the original film. This film, I like its ideas, I find it interesting, but unfortunately, I don't really like a lot of the places the story goes, and I don't really like what it does with a lot of its characters that we originally saw in the first film. So I guess it's kind of a disappointment. I feel the same way about a lot of the revisionism that Ridley Scott is doing in his own Alien series as well. I have been kind of disenchanted with the Prometheus and Alien Covenant strain of movies, even though I think that they're good movies. I don't really like the directions that they're going, so I kind of watch and I consider Alien and Aliens to be their own entities and everything else that has been done with them to be just interesting sidebars. And, and I guess Blade Runner 2049, to me, is a lot more of that. I don't really consider it part of the complete story. I just see the 1982 original as the movie. Everything else that they do after this is just kind of interesting takes on that original idea. If you have any thoughts on this, you can write to me. You can find my contact information on my website. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that you can find more of my podcasting work at the In Session Film Podcast. I co-host the extra film segments of that show with J.D. Duran and Brendan Cassidy. And I also have a retrospective look at films of the 1980s. We were talking about Blade Runner, but I did that review for In Session Film. But I just recently posted up the... Speaking of Harrison Ford films, the original Star Wars trilogy, episodes four through six on that site. You can look for Around the World in 80s Movies, 
on whatever platform that you have been listening to this show on. Just do a search around the world in 80s movies. And I hope that you'll click the subscribe button there because I plan to do that show for a long time as well. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies. And and hey, if I'm in the minority in thinking that Blade Runner 2049 is not quite on par with the original, and you actually do disagree, I'm actually glad. I'm glad that you had that experience with this film. I always like when people go to the movies and have a really great time because that's what really going to the movies should be all about. I guess my expectations were just a little bit too high on this one. I plan to see this again very soon, so maybe I'll have a different take. I'll keep you posted if I end up coming around on this one. 